Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. For many years, Brown Sugar Kitchen in West Oakland was a beautiful, sweet, generous restaurant. Owned by Tanya Holland, a black woman, it served soul food, but soul food made by a French-trained chef. Its location was important, too. Until 1989, it would have cowered in the shadow of the Cypress structure, the freeway that sliced West Oakland in half. But the community fought to build Mandela Parkway there instead, and here was a realization of the vision of those activists, a thriving, black-owned, community-building restaurant. Eventually, it closed its doors and a new chapter opened for Tanya Holland. She's just published a new book, California Soul, that encapsulates her vision, and she joins us this morning in the studio. That's all coming up next. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. It's not often that you open a cookbook with a foreword by Alice Walker. But that is how California Soul, Tanya Holland's new cookbook, begins. Quote, like any great book that is steeped in the love of its characters, California Soul is instructive and at the same time remarkably moving. It's a mix of Holland's inventive, interesting recipes, portraits of California's black food entrepreneurs and organizers, and gorgeous portraits of the landscape that inspires all of us here in this state. This book is gorgeous with its earth tones, meeting some bright pinks and purples. This is the book you sense that Holland has always wanted to create. Welcome to Forum, Tanya. We're so happy to have you. Thank you, Alexis. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So why don't we start here? Uh, How much do you think there's sort of an existing distinct food way that is like California soul? And how much do you think that such a thing needs to kind of be defined and created? Well, I think that like the migration of African-Americans to California hasn't been covered enough. And, um, you know, there was an early set that came and very established. And, you know, you think about the middle class uh, African-American community that came out of the porters from the railroads. And, um, you know, I just feel like there's so much more to tell. And when I arrived in Oakland, I learned so much, even though my, you know, maternal uh, side of the family had, had moved here. But, it's rich. And I think the food, you know, when I first got here, um, Gingerbread House was still open. People were talking about Lois the Pie Queen. Mm-hmm. There were still a few remnant places down in West Oakland near 7th Street. And, you know, these are places that I didn't know about. And people were so proud of the food that's here. And, you know, the average person really um, is concerned about what they're eating. <laughs> yeah. You know, but this book also, it feels like you're trying to cast forward for something or look forward. You're not trying to recreate Southern cooking as something that's just been transplanted here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, with as most chefs, I'm always trying to evolve. And, you know, I kind of felt like Brown Sugar Kitchen established me as cooking pretty traditional flavors and, and dishes and soul food. But I've always had this huge repertoire. And California has certainly influenced my cooking as far as being so close to the sources of my ingredients. And I wanted to pull it all together. So, you know, it's just accumulation of like my experience in my culinary career. Yeah. Do you see the sort of Californianess 
as kind of that Alice Watersy focus on ingredients and producers and proximity to, you know, agriculture? Or do you see it as kind of a remixing of all the cultures that congregate in Oakland and the Bay Area? I think it's a little of both. I've certainly been influenced by uh, Alice and all of her disciples, you know. Um, (laughs) And then also, I mean, I love the real melting pot that the Bay Area is. You know, I just felt when I got here that, um, yeah, there was just all these, you know, great influences. And chefs actually melded these different influences and different cultures together in a way that was um, very authentic and... um, yeah, just, you know, and they taste it great. So Let's talk about um, some of the food. This is your third cookbook, but of course we're saying, you know, this feels a little different from the previous ones. Can you talk to us about a recipe that kind of really reveals what you're going for? Well, I think my, uh, my duck jambalaya is, you know, one of my favorites because I remember in cooking school in France when I first learned to make duck confit and ate duck confit and I just love it, uh, the braised duck leg and the duck fat. And then, you know, searing the breast just right. And then, you know, taking that cuisine of the Louisiana side of my heritage, but adding, you know, fresh vegetables into the jambalaya. It's just really like a synergy of everything um, that I love cooking and eating. Yeah. And what about you? You actually mention you know, Liberty Duck Farms in yes. this recipe as well. That That's a big part of this cookbook, too. Seems to be kind of like shining a light on some of the different producers that you worked with. Yeah, I love calling out people in that way. I mean, I've always wanted to bring people up with me, even though sometimes they don't want to come up. <laughs> um, you know, and I have high standards, and I, I try to, you know, incorporate them into, as you know, much of my work as I can. Um, and, yeah, that, that company has, you know, been around for a long time. I've become good friends with Jennifer uh, Reichard, um, whose father founded the company, and she's a winemaker, and... Um, you know, like Mac McDonald at Vision Cellars. I've known him since I first moved to the East Bay. And, you know, he's just this great winemaker. And he was featured in my, I think there was a photo of him in my last book, but we got Mm -hmm. to feature him this time. And, you know, just helping people get exposure is something I love doing. So you've also said in some of the the coverage in this book, has gotten a, a ton of coverage in the national press, that this is kind of the most personal of your cookbooks. Like, why why is it the most personal? Yes, and I just have to say, I'm in the New York Times today. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's personal because, you know, it's really like, you know, I'm multi-layered. And I think, again, like people sometimes think soul food is just fried chicken, just collard greens, you know, cooked, you know, for hours on the stove, just a certain way. This is a food I would really cook if nobody was watching. You know, there's a lot of grilled items. I like to cook um, quick sautés. Um, you know, I also bake. And so, yeah, this is really, it's personal. I get to tell the story of my ancestors and other people who paved the way for me to be here. Hmm. Did you feel, you know, having a soul restaurant in Oakland did you actually feel like some pressure that you just you had to create a a flavor palette, a type of restaurant that spoke to the specific experience of people coming, um, you know, from the western part of the South to the Bay Area? Um, a little bit. You know, I, I feel that the location does dictate the concept. And although I had originally tried to open, you know, in, in downtown Oakland to do something a little bit higher end, um, I ended up in West Oakland and. I wanted the concept to feel very accessible to 
uh, people who, you know, had been there for generations as well to new transplants. And um, I, I just have always wanted to cook accessible food, too. Um, and the kitchen was so small, it really dictated the menu as well. You know, I had six burners there three waffle makers and one fryer, which was for beignets only. I fried chicken on top of the <laughs> stove. So I was really limited there what I could could do. And I just thought, keep it simple. It's not about putting you know my ego on the plate. It's about feeding the people good, delicious food. Yeah. You know, we've talked a lot on this show about the power of diaspora cooking, you know, in these different traditions. You know, we've had uh, Rima Ceylon talking about Arabia and this kind of... Um, Palestinian diaspora. We've had Ileana Masonette talking about diaspora Rican. But I wonder how you see your food as sort of distinct from the other branches of the diasporic food tree here. Um, hmm. I mean, I think that because, you know, I had so much exposure to other cultures, studying languages, my parents having the gourmet cooking club, my travels, my living in France, um, even some of the influences I bring are really subtle. You know, like the chili peppers that I, I choose to use because I worked at Mesa Grill um, that I've incorporated into my food and just taking little techniques and um, little tricks, little hacks from my different experiences. Mm. But, you know, I mean, this is the beauty of cooking is that, you know, everybody can put their own stamp on a cuisine. And, um, you know, I've been doing this a long time as well. And so I, I pretty practice at uh, executing these recipes and know how important it is that they work. Um, and I think that also um, distinguishes me. It's, you know, it's very clear that every, what every ingredient is, there's you know, nothing too intimidating or exotic for the home chef. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Chef Tanya Holland about her new cookbook, California Soul Recipes from a Culinary Journey West. She's actually got some appearances coming up too. This Saturday, you can catch her at Market Hall from 12 to 2.30. And in Danville uh, at Rake Straw from 3.30 to 4.30, we want to hear from you. What does California soul food mean to you? Is there a dish that comes to your mind? You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. How about what's one of your family foods or stories from the great migration of food customs from the South to the West? The number is 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're KQED Forum, and the email is forum at kqed.org. You know, I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about when you arrive in Oakland and you're opening up in West Oakland in this in this part of town. Who do you go to or who ended up being kind of some of your mentors on like, okay, you're not from here. You're opening up a restaurant here. Here's what this place is about. Wow, that's a great question. Um, you know, some of my mentors were my peers who came to help me open um, – my friend Shuna, who I work with in New York, and then she worked at the French Laundry. She came. She's like, you have to get Justo's Flour. You have to get Clover Dairy. You have to do it. I'm like, okay. I don't know these brands, but sounds good to me. And then I, you know, I mean, I use those for, for years. Um, and then a lot of my regulars who kept coming in, you know, like um, Erica uh, Huggins from yeah. the Black Panthers and people who lived in the neighborhood for generations. You know, I lived a block from my council member, at that mm-hmm. time, Nancy Nadell and um, some local developers who really knew the history. I also brought bought some books and did some research. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really exciting to, 
be able to create, as you said earlier, this community space that Mm -hmm. reflected community, but yet everybody was welcome, which has always been my MO is like, you know, I want like everybody dining in my restaurant. Yeah. Were you actually surprised at the level of buzz and success that Brown Sugar Kitchen had in that spot? Like just that it became such an icon of sort of Oaklandness. Yeah, I was kind of shocked. I I was not expecting it. I mean, it was this little, you know, old diner space. And I remember the first I got I forgot what kind of piece of press I got, but it was probably after I'd been open like three or four months. And there was this line out the door on a Sunday and I was just losing it. I was like, <laughs> where are these people coming from? I only got six burners in here. <laughs> I yeah. know. Most of them have more than that in their house, you know. And so I just yeah, it's it it just used to floor me every day. And I love looking out and seeing, you know, like the burning man person sitting next to the police officer sitting next to, you know, the like hip hop guy next to the uh, ladies who just came from playing Mahjong. And, you know, it's just like so amazing. And then all these celebrities who found us like I was like Henry Winkler. Showed, I was like, how did you find out about us? You know, <laughs> Oh, yeah, we, we heard about it. And, you know, the list goes on. Um so, yeah, I just, you know, it just made me realize people in the Bay Area will travel anywhere for good food. And, um, you know, it was a great it was great as it was, you know, as it was rising. Yeah. We're talking with Chef Tanya Holland about her new cookbook, California Soul Recipes from a Culinary Journey West. Also, next Sunday, or I guess it's the 11th, there's going to be a great cookbook event at Bombera. Uh, in Oakland from 1 to 4. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Forum. Stay tuned for more after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with Chef Tanya Holland about her new cookbook, California Soul Recipes from a Culinary Journey West. We'd love to hear from you. What does California soul food mean to you? Are there dishes that come to mind that are really specific to this tradition? The number is 866-733-6786. Or we'd love to hear your family foods and stories from this area. The number is 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's KQED Forum, and the email is forum at kqed.org. So I know your parents met in Oakland when Mm -hmm. you were a kid. And I'm really curious, what did Oakland mean or look like to you as a child? You know, I came out here a couple times, and like, what did it represent to you, this place? 
It represented possibilities. Like I had this great aunt living out here. It was my one of my mom's favorite aunts. Um, she was an aunt by marriage, Aunt Vera, and you know she used to send me. Uh, like $5 checks for my birthday from her <laughs> bank account at Bank of America. And I was like, oh, Bank of America. <laughs> like, you know, I was, we were banking at the Rochester Savings and Loan, you know. <laughs> um, and she was, yeah, her energy was big. It was spacious. I just remember, yeah, just feeling like, oh, there's possibilities out here. The sky how, how is open. did they end up meeting here? Well, they met here one summer before I was born. Um, my dad was out here in between college semesters, I think they both met on like a a route of selling magazine subscriptions door to door with friends because that was like a thing back then, and yeah, and then he went back to college in Massachusetts. She went to Chicago, and you know, you always like, how did they keep up? Like you imagine like cans with like strings on them, you know? Like, I think it was letters. They wrote letters. Yeah, they <laughs> yeah. wrote letters. Uh, and then yeah, they ended up um, having me in uh, Hartford, and then my dad got a job with Kodak, so I grew up in Rochester, New York. You know, in your book, and you and you mentioned here earlier, you know, your parents had this gourmet club mm-hmm. in Rochester, kind of multiracial, multiethnic group getting together to mm-hmm. eat and drink. Talk to me a little bit more about that, and what who who was in the group, and what do you think you really got from that growing up? Well, at, you know, while they had it for the most time, I was an only child, so instead of getting a babysitter, I might go to whoever the host family's uh, house was, play with their kids, or if they hosted. I was always running in and out of the kitchen. I was very curious about the kitchen, what was happening. So, and then a lot of those dishes ended up in my mom's repertoire. You know, like I'd be eating matzo ball soup, chicken cacciatore, uh, German potato salad. My friends were, you know, really having some basic meals. And so I brought that along with me. So it definitely influenced me. But the way it influenced me me most was entertaining. Mm. And I love to host and I love to feed people. And I saw, you know, what my parents got from that. And that's even more important to me than cooking. It's just like feeding people, bringing them together in a comfortable environment, you know, an environment that's like exciting and stimulating and um, and having good conversation. Yeah. What were your mom's best dishes or your dad's? Oh, let's see. My mom, well, she was known for her gumbo, um, being from Shreveport, um, that was something that none of her friends made. So, you know, she'd make a big batch and tell people and they'd come over. My dad was really the, you know, the grill guy. <laughs> like most dads, he was on the grill. He also bragged about his uh, salmon and eggs that he would cook for me after swim lessons on uh, the weekend. Um, but, yeah, they both, um, you know, they both had some skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, and then you ended up working in restaurants back east, right? Mm-hmm. You ended up working with Bobby Flay, I mm-hmm. think, right? Mm-hmm. And what what brought you into that space where you're like, okay, I think I want to be working in restaurants for my career? Yeah, so I was uh, I front of the house for seven years before cooking, and again, I just I just liked the environment, and it was very. Um, like, especially back then, I mean, it was really like the land of misfit toys. Everybody ended up in the restaurant business who didn't know what they wanted to be when they grew up, right? And But I could see that there was also, at least it seemed to me, a pathway for me to run my own place, to, you know, call my own shots, make my own decisions. Um, and I hadn't seen anyone in the genre that I, you know, I decided I was going to cook soul food but elevate it. And I hadn't seen anyone get the service, the room, and the food all on par, and so that inspired me. And then there were a few places that had opened 
um, when I got back from cooking school, but I still felt like there was room, you know, for me to do my thing. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's bring in our first caller here, uh, Steve in Oakland. Welcome. <coughs> Thank you. Um, as an Oakland native from East Oakland, um, I my definition of California soul was always Flint's barbecue. But there are uh, many Everett and Jones degoutes, but but that is truly my definition of California soul. Yeah, um, it's an ongoing argument for decades on which was better. Flint's is no longer here, but but I still gave it the the nod. Yeah, hey, thank you for that, Steve. I mean that that particular part of the history when people you know kind of walk in their imaginations down 7th street in the old days in in West Oakland and imagine all the different places there with all the different kind of traditions um that that kind of met up and kind of got remixed in in West Oakland um did you take that like is does this show up in in this book like is there a you know maybe it's the barbecue black cod like what's the way that you ended up taking that tradition of that kind of california soul and then and then remaking it in Tanya Holland style yeah when i moved here i mean there some of these barbecue places that have been around for decades were still open. Casey's, Flint's, um, you know, obviously Ever and Jones. And, you know, I had a barbecue place for a few years. And um, I think it's just because of the weather, too. You know, people cooking outside, grilling. People like that smoke. You know, I was when I, I was living and working in West Oakland, it was sort of like the wild, wild west. And, you know, I had a wood-burning smoker. And, you know, it makes a difference in flavor. Um but, you know, not always friendly to the neighbors. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, bringing some of that. But, um, you know, the farmer's market is also a big influence and in how you see the ingredients as they're available in front of you. And you don't even have to make decisions like, oh, there's that. OK, that's what I'm going to use, you know, for my special this week. Yeah. Do you remember when you first had a barbecued oyster? Yeah, I do. I was really suspicious. I was like, what? <laughs> I'm from the East Coast. Oysters are suspicious, I have to say. <laughs> I love them, but they're definitely suspicious. No, I mean, I grew up and I worked at the Oyster Bar in Martha's Vineyard, and um, I just, you know, started eating raw oysters. My mom always fried them, and I had never heard of them grilled and barbecued, but yeah, they it was spectacular. I mean, when you have that butter and... Yeah, there's a barbecued uh, oyster in my cookbook. At, I mean, again, that's like epitome of a of a recipe that has you know developed because of the time I've spent in California. Yeah, I love that. It's got a bacon vinegar uh, mignonette, mm-hmm. right? So kind of get some of that smoke into the mm-hmm. into the oysters. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk uh, a little bit about the history that you celebrate, the kind of black culinary history of California that you celebrate. One of the things I wanted to call out, you know, sometimes. Um, we can get get hung up on thinking about, you know, Fillmore, like Hunter's Point, you know, mm-hmm. uh, West Oakland. But your book calls out actually like Sacramento, too, as a place of, you know, real creativity and just lots of black people working in the food industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's so many cities of, you know, where people migrated to, um, you know, we call it L.A. in uh, Sacramento. Um, we have, uh, you know, people who have started breweries and um there's a large african-american population there and i considered moving there at one point um because Hmm. and opening up a place there because that community was actually uh thriving i think Mm -hmm. a little bit more than oakland was when i first arrived there and then as we talked about earlier you know i kind of opened at a weird time in 2008 but then it started hitting its heyday in 2010 Mm -hmm. and 11 12 but um 
Yeah, there's, I, I mean, this is the, the part about the book that I'm most proud of is telling the story again of, you know, the people who are here before me and the makers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, educating people. You know, one of the people we've talked about on the show before uh, was uh, Mrs. Abby Fisher, um, mm-hmm. who had one of the earliest Southern uh, cookbooks here in, in California. It's called What Mrs. Fisher Knows About Old Southern Cooking. Um, so actually, after we, we did a show that, that remember we talked about her some months ago, and I ordered it. I ordered mm-hmm. the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and going through it, have you have you ended up ever cooking out of anything out of there? There, you know, it's tough because you know the ingredients may not be the same thing. Right. You know what they're talking about, like then and now, and it's talking more than a hundred years ago. Um, do you ever work with those old cookbooks and try and um, you know see see what it was they were trying to do? Uh, I have a copy of that book. I've looked at it. No, because you know, here's the thing, like. You know, they weren't, they didn't have recipe testers. Right? Right. <laughs> so, exactly. You know, but I like yeah. using them for inspiration and guidance. But, mm-hmm. you know, one cookbook that has greatly influenced me is Edna Lewis's The Taste of Country Cooking. Mm. And I just met her niece who uh, typed up that manuscript when she was 12. Um, and just to get some, and got some firsthand stories of that experience. And, you know, they definitely had those recipes tested. And I just, you know, I, I use recipes as a guideline. I always encourage people to, like, you can, you know, it's harder for novice cooks to go off recipe. Mm-hmm. But as a trained chef, you know, I, I look at them and I can tell, okay. is it going to work? This and I is get the inspired. thickener. Mm-hmm. This is the, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, we are talking with Chef Tanya Holland about her new cookbook, California Soul, Recipes from a Culinary Journey West. If you want to see her, she's got uh, book signings coming up this Saturday, Market Hall. Uh, in Oakland, 12 to 2.30, and Rake Straw in Danville, uh, 3.30 to 4.30. We'd love to hear from you. What does California soul mean to you? We have a comment from uh, Jennifer. California soul, to me, is our generation's versions of the food we grew up eating, like mac and cheese with several types of cheese, breadcrumbs, sea salt, cowgirl creamery version instead of just cheddar cheese, also fresh instead of frozen or canned vegetables. What does California soul mean to you? Are there dishes or styles that come to mind? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you know it. It's KQED Forum. And the email, of course, is forum at kqed.org. Let's go back to the phones here. Eileen in Oakland. Welcome to the show. Hi. Um, I just wanted to say my grandparents are in the brown sugar kitchen cookbook, Dorothy and Bob. Oh yeah. Oh my um, god, I remember them. They were they'd love to sit at the counter. <laughs> yes. Um, are they we still are they still so around? Are they still around? You know, Granny passed a, Granny oh. passed a few years ago. Grandpa is still very oh, healthy. Oh, tell him I said hi. Your waffle. <laughs> I will. Talks about your waffle all the time. And my whole family's listening in right now. We just want to say yeah. we love you. And they were coming from Walnut. Community you are. They were coming from Walnut Creek, right? <laughs> Great memory. I was are, like, yeah, who right, are these right folks? Yeah. They were awesome. Oh. <laughs> Thanks for calling my in. Emma was going there well into her 90s. Yes. Thank you. Oh, my God. Really? Eileen, did you ever uh, figure out how to make any of the recipes? You ever try to make the <laughs> waffles or anything? I have, and I've got the cookbook, and the whole family's got copies. Oh, thank you. To everyone. That's oh, awesome. <laughs> thank you. Eileen, thank you so much. Check out the new one, too. You'll like it. Um, that's so fu- You know, that's one of the things about that 
restaurant. I remember, you know, I was meeting with someone working early work on a book I've been working on at Oakland for a long time, and they were like, "Okay, we got to meet at Brown Sugar Kitchen." You know, it was like a place where people want, you know, to 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 do that. It was like a special place to meet in in West Oakland. Um, like, what was it like creating that community space? And you did end up moving um, to downtown Oakland. Mm-hmm. Um, later in the in life of Brown Sugar Kitchen, mm-hmm. and like, how were those kind of different vibes or places, or how did it change to have the same restaurant but in two different locations? Yeah, you know, it was hard for me. The space, the first space, was, you know, I felt limited because of again the the physical space of the building, and we had this high demand, people waiting in lines, and you know, I just couldn't get the food out fast enough, and. So I always felt like a bigger place was the answer. But I think people really like being crammed in a space, you know, and I think they really enjoyed like it felt like a novelty, like they were in on a secret, you know, and um, everybody could see everybody there. And then the kitchen was fully exposed. You know, I was like working in a fishbowl and I would hand over plates to people. So they like that, you know, that personal touch. Um, but the bigger space was like, you know, the restaurant I had dreamed of because um, mm. I wanted something that was reflected my my good taste. And I got this beautiful music system from Meyer Sound put in. Mm. And, um, yeah, I just thought that was it. But I was thinking about that recently. I think that second space was too big. Um, it just it missed the coziness that the first mm. space offered. And I'm serving comfort food and people – they wanted to be like really comfy and cozy. So I don't know. Talk to us too about the restaurant economics seem so wild in the Bay Area with leases being really expensive. And it's something that's come up a lot as we've, you know, done food segments with Luke Sai, who's our mm-hmm. KQED food editor, all you can eat. It just ends up being very hard to keep these kind of spaces going. How do you ever plan on opening another restaurant now that Brown Sugar Kitchen is closed, or are you just like, no, this just does not work? <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm trying to come up with solutions with some of my colleagues about like how do we solve this, you know, this restaurant conundrum. I mean, it is as you said, it's based on real estate, really, because and I learned that early in my career. It's like the real estate uh, deal, the financials will drive, you know, the success of the business. You have to have a partnership with your landlord or developer. So, you know, good times you both win, bad times you both, you know, take a hit or whatever. Um, Because there's, you know, there's not like that same opportunity as like a lot of immigrants who came here and opened, you know, for instance, a Greek diner or, or, you know, even the migration of people with soul food restaurants Mm -hmm. where you could make a living and buy a house Mm -hmm. and... Um, it doesn't exist. And I don't think it's just limited to the Bay Area because I've been talking around other colleagues. Um, and it's rare that restaurateurs have the opportunity to purchase their buildings. Mm-hmm. We put so much capital in for improvements and you can't take it with you. So it's, yeah, it's a model that's broken clearly. And um, I don't have all the answers. I have some ideas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but. Do you feel like then that the time when you got in where there were a bunch of different black women running restaurants in Oakland was a certain kind of like golden kind of crossover moment where that was possible and, and now it's not anymore? Yeah, I, well, I think it was possible because there were still a lot of independently owned buildings and um, so much empty retail space and a lot of it, you know, second generation or third generation restaurant spaces. So 
we didn't like that, like my first restaurant location. You know, I didn't have to put in uh, the exhaust system, which is, you know, really expensive or, you know, some of the equipment I was able to reuse. Um, so it did make it easier for entry into it. And now it's, it's just not, it's just not there. Yeah. It's kind of scary for young chefs coming up, right? Yeah. You know, that's why, you know, there's, was a lot of, there's pop-ups, there's food trucks, um, and I don't, yeah, I don't know what's going to become of, you know, the restaurant industry. Yeah. Uh, we have a funny comment. Maybe you could explain this quickly. Okay. Amnon writes in to say, tell us about teaching Selena Gomez to cook remotely during the pandemic. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that was a cool, it was cool. I mean, we were really remote. Like I went to LA, but I was in an Airbnb and they had a screen up and she was in her home. And, um, you know, Selena actually had more skills than I, I mean, she wasn't, <laughs> I think some of it was a little acting, you know, where she'd act a little clueless. Mm-hmm. Um, but I liked her relationship with her grandparents. That was really cute. And she was very gracious. I mean, she's been raised well, you know, and so I, I thought it was great because not only that, you know, I get hired to do that, but she also donated, I think it was 10 grand to my, my charity of choice, which was No Kid Hungry. Oh, wow. We're talking with Chef Tanya Holland about her new cookbook, California Soul, that's Recipes from a Culinary Journey West. On Sunday the 11th, she is going to be at Bombera, which is uh, in Oakland, if you know the place, uh, 1 to 4 p.m. with some other wonderful cookbook authors like Brian Terry Wright's going to be there and, and some other folks. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We're going to go back to the phones uh, after the break hearing your stories about what California soul means to you, hearing maybe some of your stories from Brown Sugar Kitchen. The number is 866-733-6786. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We are here in the studio with Chef Tanya Holland talking about her beautiful new cookbook, California Soul Recipes from a Culinary Journey West, with a forward by Alice Walker. Uh, we also have a caller on the line, Romney in Oakland. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Hi Romney. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I had to call in. I You're am so sitting sweet. in my car at work. Um, I, I'm uh, Romney, and I own the Cook and Her Farmer in the historic farm oh, market. Hey. But I, I want to really just say that about the epitome or what, what you were asking about soul food and 
you know, brown sugar in West Oakland epitomized what I think of California soul food, and we miss it so much. Aww. We, um, my partner is from Memphis. Uh, it was the place that we always went to, and all of the things that you said, Tanya, that just the community. The first time I ever went there was with Raymond Saunders. Can mm. you believe it? And mm-hmm. he's a character, mm-hmm. the artist. And um, <laughs> it was an inter- I spent the whole morning in West Oakland after that, which was just an eye-opening thing. And that was right after you opened. But um, the idea of soul, because I have a restaurant that crosses over to Memphis, and I'm not African-American, but you kind of gave me license in a lot of ways when I'd go in there and I thought, oh, I could do this. I could do my thing, and I could pop in with, you know, the flavor of Steve's world um, into into my food. Hmm. But you, what I f- have always felt about your food is that you brought soul in all its understanding and not soul food, meaning just, you know, mm-hmm. fried chicken soul food, but you brought in just all these, these wonderful elements of what it means to be mm-hmm. Cooking, uh, cooking with soul. Yeah. I think. Oh, thank you, Romney. I'm thinking. Of, yeah. So we miss you. There's. I'm <laughs> telling you. I'm a restaurant owner. There is no other place to go have yeah. a fantastic brunch. Oh, thank you in, so much, um, Oakland. Yeah. I miss so, serving you, know, you. Also, yeah. So, um, and barbecued oysters. Hey, they're a thing. We know that too. <laughs> yeah. So um, we just wanted. I just wanted yeah. to say that. So, oh, thank um, you, Romney. Mean a lot to us. You no, a lot we, to us, and we, we really miss, miss it. We so. appreciate that, and uh, I appreciate being able to go to your restaurant, too, in uh, in Old Town, Oakland. Um, you did, you know, uh, Tony, you did want to talk about how you feel like this book's title is about your soul, not just soul food. Yeah, it seems yeah, to be kind of it is. Rami's. I mean, I when I moved out to California, um, I just felt like I found my place, my home. Now it's uh, I've lived here longer than, you know, where I grew up. Um and, you know, my parents having met here, having maternal ancestors move here, finding my people like Romney, who's one of my favorite chefs and cooks and a friend, you know, who also cook with soul, even though it's not necessarily their heritage. You know, um, there's it's just it's a way of being that I feel like where you're, you know, it's I'm connected to the values of this uh, community and place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Kimberly uh, writes in to say, kind of on the same, the same theme, uh, Kimberly writes, like Tanya, I moved here from living on the East Coast and in Europe. One of the things I love about California cuisine is that we take a cultural influence, make it innovative and healthier, and respect the traditions behind the dishes. An example would be all the exploration of Indian spices and ingredients that chefs experimented with in the 70s and 80s, bringing a new interpretation and exposure to a cuisine. I always feel like California explores ideas and then New York legitimizes trends. We've started with national media exposure. Um, That's true. What do you think? Yeah? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of true. I do feel that, um, like I said earlier, it's just more authentic and organic out here. And I feel like in New York, it's like really intentional. We're going to, you know, take this and, um, you know, we're going to make it commercial or... You know, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about another one of the recipes uh, in the book. Maybe, how about Dungeness Crab Beignets? Yeah, you know, so I didn't really eat Dungeness Crab till I came to California. And, I mean, I was like, I liked lobster, you know, very New England seafood. And I was like, what is this? You know, it's mm-hmm. so great. And at Brown Sugar Kitchen, you know, I was known for cooking the beignets that were served with powdered sugar and, you know, jam. They were sweet. 
And so came up with this um, idea, and I always like kind of a sweet and savory. Mm. So it's it's a beignet with crab in it, but like a little like lemon, a, little, a tiny bit of sugar mm. uh, powdered over them at the end. And uh, some of my colleagues have cooked them on my book tour in the restaurants, and they've they've been a big hit. So <laughs> I think I did okay. And you also um, you also have a Dungeness crab salad in here as mm-hmm. well, right? And that's. I guess it's because Dungeness crab is one of those like kind of defining West Coast ingredients. For sure. And with the fried green tomatoes, you know, again, with every recipe, I, as I was creating them, I was like, what about it's California and what about it is Seoul? Like, mm-hmm. I just wanted to make sure there was an integration of, um, you know, those very influential parts of, again, my, my uh, culinary um, pedigree in yeah. every recipe. You know, let's talk a little bit, too, about a date farmer that you met, Sam Cobb of Sam Cobb Farms. You know, tell, First of all, let's talk about dates and how you end up using them in a recipe, and then let's talk about Sam. Yeah, so, you know, I love dates as, like, a, you know, a sweetener and, you know, can also thicken, uh, you know, a, a sauce and add, um, you know, a new dimension to it. And... Again, I mean, there were some, you know, Middle Eastern influences in on the East Coast, and I would have them, but out here seemed to have more access. And then mm-hmm. when we learned about actually Maria Hunt, who was a writer on the book, um, she found Sam and went and interviewed him and learned about how, you know, he chose to be a date farmer and he is so passionate about him about them and you know grows these different varieties. And so I created the state bar recipe. So I could, you know, feature the dates. Um, <laughs> and it's sort of like a Fig Newton, but with dates. Yeah, that sounds better, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's different. It's different. Uh, we, we have a few more people on the line. Let's uh, let's go back. We got uh, Kim in Berkeley. Hi, Tanya. This is Kim in Berkeley. I'm a hi. psychotherapist. And hi, Tanya. Hi, how are you? For a long time. I am well, thank you. And I am calling in uh, as a longtime nonprofit supporter. And Tanya spoken briefly about her her spirit of giving back to the community. But I really want to appreciate all that she did for a nonprofit I worked for for many years. What's not quite as well known about Tanya is her heart of philanthropy and her soulful giving back to the community, specifically the kids and families of Oakland. And just want to appreciate all you did, Tanya, and all you do. Thank you so much. Thank Mm -hmm. you. With Brown Sugar Kitchen closed now, are you you expanding on that part of sort of what you're doing? I know you're working with the James Beard Foundation, among other things. Oh, yeah. And you had asked me earlier if I was going to open more restaurants. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I'm looking more at, um, you know, some licensing or partnership partnership deals. But yeah, I mean, the Beard Foundation has kept me really busy with like hundreds of volunteer hours, but it's been great to see the impact I've been able to have just by being at the table in the room and, you know, questioning decisions and directions on, you know, and what qualifies as excellence and who gets access. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's been great. So I've been doing that. um, And, you know, some small consulting gigs and who knows what the future will bring. I mean, you know, like when Selena happened and then the show on own the Oprah Winfrey network, like I wasn't pursuing those. So I always like what I love about my industry is now I've developed a skill set in such that I can 
do a lot of different things and, um, you know, use my network. That's kind of my secret sauce. And who knows where I'll I'll end up. But I will stay in California. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Back to the phone. Barbara in Walnut Creek. Welcome. Hello. I grew up in the South and uh, loved the Southern food, but I miss one thing particular in California, and I don't know why it hasn't translated, and that is the Southern field peas, peas and snaps, the little lady peas even that are so good, and rice Mm. with uh, any meat you want to go with it or a non-meat as almost you don't even have to have the meat. It is such a comfort food. Why didn't it make it to California? <laughs> kind of like a Hoppin' John, I'm guessing. I don't yes. Know. Yes. yes. Um, I don't know. But without I, the, the dried peas, they were the fresh the ones. The fresh ones. They would grow so well in the sandy soil and the heat of Central California. Oh, well, well, that's an opportunity for yeah, someone. Right. <laughs> I will tell you that um, Rancho Gordo, their black-eyed peas are incredible and so different from most dried uh, black-eyed peas. So um, give those a try. That might be as close as you come right now. Um, oh, I think you'd make a hit, though, with the fresh ones <laughs> that come out. They're a labor of love to shell, but they now have machines to shell. Yeah. Oh, okay. There you go. Hey, thank you, Barbara. Really, really appreciate that. Um, you know, it's, it is interesting, though, that there are some ingredients which, which don't seem to translate, right? Or which don't, people don't end up using, even though they're a traditional part of cooking. Are there any of those that you wish would come back? Yeah, or they just, they didn't make it out here. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. You know, I I mean, again, we're spoiled out here, and I love the access we have to some of the fresh ingredients like fresh okra. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually grow up eating fresh okra because in Rochester, New York, all my mom could buy was frozen. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if there's any, you know, filet powder can still be a little bit hard to find. The ground sassafras leaves that really add a lot of flavor and texture to gumbo but can also be used, you know, in other ways to thicken sauce. It has a nice mm-hmm. peppery, grassy flavor. Um, so yeah, I don't, you know, I've pretty much found most of what I wanted out here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's bring in, uh, Courtney listening from Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome, Courtney. Hi. It's wonderful to call in and be able to say to Chef Holland (laughs) that I loved your restaurant. Oh, thank Um, you. I have strong connections to Oakland. My brother moved there as you opened your restaurant. My good girlfriend moved there. So I have times where I went with both of them and together, and we miss it. Um, I miss it. I live, I've lived here in Atlanta for almost 20 years. So okay. soul food is a part of um, what I know and grew up with in Pennsylvania, living here in the South. And so you're right. It was comfy and cozy. And um, I just want to say I wish you all the best. And Thank I can't you. wait to get your cookbook and to um, bring that <laughs> spirit in my house. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you, Courtney. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When you're out on a book tour, you're moving around the country, and you find yourself in the South, are you kind of, what is your approach to going to eat Southern food, having had this restaurant and and having gotten famous making this food outside of the region? Uh, Well, I mean, I'm always just looking forward to seeing how other people do it. Mm -hmm. Um, I was recently in Charlotte for my cousin's wedding. My aunt and uncle live there. And I went to this food 
hall that must have had about 20 outlets and I it was really hard for me to make up my mind. I was just like, okay, what should I try? What mm. should I try? But guess what? There was not a biscuit for sale anywhere. And I was like, what? I And I really wanted to do some like biscuit research. Um, it's another like project that I, I might end up doing as a, a consumer product good, a biscuit, huh. um, frozen product. Um, but yeah, I just always go with an open eye and just, you know, see if I can learn something. Maybe they're doing mm. it better. Mm-hmm. You know, just... You know, try to be open. Well, I got to follow up on this biscuit thing. This would really <laughs> solve some problems for me. Um, I, so you're, how different is it approaching, like, making a purchasable product, right? Like, one of those things versus what, what you're making in the kitchen. Like, did you have to learn a new type of food science? Is it, like, a, a food engineering? Like, who do you work with on something like that? You, you work with a food engineer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you do. But... You know, I'm, tr- again, trying to keep everything, like, really um, sustainable and organic, you know, which is another reason why people like my food at Brown Sugar Kitchen. They trusted me for how I sourced. Um, you know, it hasn't happened just yet, but you also have to be able to make sure that, you know, it can bake in, uh, you know, a home oven. You don't know if it's calibrated. Mm-hmm. So you just, there's just a lot to think about, you know, yeah. still working on it. Is that fun for you or is it just kind of a bit of a drag? No, it's it's fun. Like I, I would love, you know, to be able to feed people more often to share my flavors. And so if I could create something also to, you know, to kind of keep uh, the Brown Sugar Kitchen brand alive, because, you know, that was the other thing that was really surprising for me, that it became this destination dining place. Mm-hmm. Like people came from all over the country and different parts of the world. I mean, it was really like beloved. It was beyond me. Like I couldn't even say like you know I created this. It was sort of the the restaurant, the little restaurant that could <laughs> had its own like you know life. Um, so yeah. yeah, I hope you know I can bring it back a little bit. And we got let's take another uh, I think another appreciation here. Uh, oh. Tracy in Hayward, welcome. Hello, Tanya. I know who that you? is. <laughs> Hi, Tracy. <laughs> I miss you. I miss you. <laughs> I hear the you, babies in the background. Hey, let me tell you something. We, when we had to build the parklet for Tanya during COVID, this woman fed our crew. And I'm from New Orleans. I was born in Louisiana. And she's the only thing, as far as I'm concerned, in, in the Bay Area, probably California, that can make jambalaya <laughs> and make some southern Soul food, just like my mama and them back in the woman. I know how much I love her. Girl, I miss you. That's the ultimate compliment. Oh. Thank you. I miss you too. I, I thank you. And my my wife, you know, my wife's Filipino and she loved the greens. I mean, she was like, honey, you, did you work at, 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 at Brown Sugar Kitchen today? Bring me home, bring me home this. Bring me home that fried chicken. Oh, Tanya. Aww. I miss you, girl. And Thank you. That's for you. I can't. I, I'm gonna get your. I want. I want your book. Yeah. We're gonna be cooking it over here. You know, at the house. <laughs> My wife can cook greens now. She can cook. <laughs> she, can, she can cook some soul food, girl. And the girls miss you. I love it. The girls well, miss you. you. I gotta come. Wait. I got to see you soon. Yeah, Tracy, thank you. thank you so much for calling in. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Um, I, as we head out here, um, why don't you give people just one simple thing they could make from this from this cookbook, you think? Yeah, I mean, I think like one of my favorite uh, entry-level recipes I like to tell people to try are the uh, sweet potato pull-apart rolls because mm. it's really not that complicated, and I think you feel really accomplished <laughs> when you make them. <laughs> 
because you're making these rolls and they're just like, uh, you know, my uh, former baker, Diane, made them and we were working on the recipe together. And, you know, at first I was going to try to serve them at, you know, at every table really wasn't cost effective, but I love that recipe. So um, do you have any special, because I actually was looking at that one last night and mm-hmm. I was thinking like, my wife loves pull apart rolls. Mm-hmm. Those look amazing mm-hmm. um, in this book. What are, what's like a little tip about those? Just <laughs> as I'm, what, any tricky spots in, in making, po- assume that I am an amateur, amateur baker, oh, which my is goodness. the case. I mean, I would say, you know, what I tell people with all recipes and, and, you know, uh, cooking is like don't try not to cook on the same day you shop. <laughs> That's where the stress comes in. You know what I mean? Buy your ingredients a couple days ahead, and then you know set enough enough time. Measure out your dry ingredients. You know, get everything laid out. The mise en place that yeah. you know all the chefs talk about. It's it's important. All right, so I will do that, and I will I'll report back to you all. <laughs> okay. Uh, we have been talking with Chef Tanya Holland about her new cookbook. California Soul Recipes from a Culinary Journey West, and also it turned into a little bit of a celebration of Brown Sugar Kitchen. Yeah, that was a so sweet. truly legendary uh, restaurant here in the Bay Area. We've been wanting to have you on for a long time, so Thank I'm you. so glad you could join us. Me too. If you want to see Chef Tanya Holland, she's got some appearances uh, coming up. Market Hall this Saturday, as well as Rake and Straw up in Danville. Go to get this book. It's very beautiful and you will learn a lot about uh, this form of cooking, California soul. Um, this is Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We uh, produce this show with the help of so many different people. Blanca Torres, Grace Wan, Jennifer Ng, Marlena Jackson Rotondo is our engagement producer. Judy Campbell is a lead producer. Our engineers, Danny Bringer. Interns are Paul C. Kelly Campos and Lulu Ralda. Susan Davis, senior producer. Our vice president of news is Ethan Tobin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. This is Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. 
New episodes of Soul to Story are available now.